Well, thank you. I feel like uh, the bar's been set kind of high now. <clears throat> and I almost feel bad because usually when I preach, I pick on my son, and today I'm picking on him. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> All right, well... Um, Pastor asked me to preach, and of course, I was happy to do so. I was a little stressed out. I thought, when am I going to find time to prepare something this week? Because uh, life's been kind of crazy. As he said, we've started this child care center, so I certainly keep my hands full over there. And then on top of that, our family's been dealing with the sickness like we prayed for this morning. You know, from bronchitis to double ear infections and sinus infections. It seems like for the last month, one or the other of us have been sick, and it's thrown off our whole system. And so we're just kind of trying to get back into our pattern. Um, you know, when, when we get off of our patterns, it throws us all off, and, and that leads directly into what I'm talking about today. I'm going to begin with the fact that humans, we're creatures of habit, right? All of us know people who are creatures of habit. We're, we're happy to point our fingers at someone and say they're a creature of habit, but if we're honest, we, we all really are. Um, you know, for some of us, it's, it's a method of imparting some control over our surrounding. You know, life is chaotic. Things come at you that we're not expecting. And when we have these habits, um, it, it allows us to feel some kind of control. We can, we can deal with this because we're used to this. We're used to this kind of situation. Um, for, other, for others of us, it's just a, a matter of comforting ourselves, right? We find comfort in, in, our, in our morning cup of coffee, in our daily devotion time, in, in our bedtime rituals, all those things that we do to, to process and, and, get, and prepare ourselves to rest. Um, you know, we take comfort in, in family traditions, different things like that. And, and these things, um, they're habits that we get into. And, and Habits can be endearing, right? They can be cute. They can be funny. You know, there's certain habits that you noticed about your spouse or your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and, and that's cute to you. It's endearing, and you love it. And then on the other hand, there's some that are kind of frustrating too, right? Uh, you know, so, and, and, and when I said I was going to throw them under the bus, I just wanted to mention a couple habits that I like to make fun of mom and dad for. And one of them is, is my dad gets stuck on these kicks, right? Um, he, he'll get caught on one thing, and it's like, we're going to eat soup every meal for the next three weeks because that is what I want, right? Um, and, and it's funny because he, he'll do that for three, four, five, six weeks, and then all of a sudden it's like the switch gets flipped and we're on to the next one. Now it's Nutter Butter Cookies or DQ Blizzards or, or Mark's Feed Store or whatever it is. You know, it's like he goes from one kick to the next. And I can't throw him under the bus without throwing mom under the bus, too. We make fun of her because when we go to a particular restaurant, she can only order one thing off the menu. And so we'll say, well, why don't we go to this restaurant? And she'll say, well, I don't want to eat Mexican because I don't want a chimichanga. And we're like, mom, there's other things on the menus besides chimichangas. Yeah, but when I go to El Nopal, I eat a chimichanga or whatever it is. And so we're like, well, we can still go. We all want to go there, so you're just going to have to pick something else. You're going to have to break your habit. But, um, you know, we, we make fun of these things. We laugh about them. But really, honestly, it's just part of how we're wired as humans, right? We do things over and over again. They become imprinted in our neural pathways. And, and it just it becomes an easy way for us to increase speed and efficiency. And this can be a positive thing, and it can be a negative thing. Positively, you got things like muscle memory. You can learn how to, 
touch type. You can learn how to hit a baseball well or, or all the different things that we can train ourselves to do. We can, we can train our reflexes and our reactions. Uh, you look at people like, uh, you know, I, pl- I play uh, games online with some of the men in the church and, and some of those guys are just ridiculous. Their reflexes are so quick. They're so, and, and I, I'm just like, I want to hang my controller up and say, bye, I'm done. You know, you guys make me feel bad. But, but it's become a habit for them. They've, they've done it so much that it's just ingrained into them. But at the same time, those habits can be a negative thing in our life. We can get ourselves stuck into negative speech patterns. You know, we, we'll speak negatively to someone. Someone says something, and our automatic response is to respond hatefully or to, or to snap back at them. Um, we might fall back into certain relationship patterns with our spouses or with our kids or with our co-workers. And these things can be negative sometimes. Sometimes we'll get stuck in, in destructive or self-defeating thoughts, right? And, and, and we just can't seem to break free of them. And, you know, in, in physics, there's this, this law of inertia that a body will stay in its state unless an outside force acts on it, right? So if you've got a ball at rest, unless some sort of outside force acts on it, it's going to stay at rest. Or if it's a ball in motion, unless that there's something, you know, friction or, or gravity or whatever that acts on that ball, it's going to stay in motion. But humans are kind of like that too. Sometimes we get stuck, we get frozen in one place, and we need something to come in from the outside and to kind of kick us into gear. Or at other times, we're, we're headed in a direction that's, that's not in a good direction for us. And so we need God or we need something to come in and, and kind of kickstart us and get us corrected back onto the right path. All right, so you might say, okay, Dr. Phil, that all sounds well and good, but what does that have to do with Christianity, right? Well, I want to talk to you today, and, and John Medcraft, he asked me, he said, what's the, 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 the title of your sermon? I'll need to know it for the podcast. And, I, and so I, I channeled my dad a little bit, and I, I, I said some alliteration. We're going to talk about the problematic path of Peter, right? And um, Peter is one of my favorite characters in the Bible, not because of all the awesome things he does, which he does. He does some amazing things on, on behalf of God. But the, one of the reasons I love Peter is because he shows you how you can mess everything up and God is going to use you anyway. And I, I take comfort in that because I'm a lot like that myself. All right, It's not because of how awesome he was, how gifted he was, how talented he was. It's truly just because of grace that he was able to become the apostle that Jesus called him to be. And I think if you look at his life, um, you know, we get quite a few stories about Peter, um, probably because he was hanging around Jesus a lot, and he was very instrumental in the early church, so there's quite a few things that we can look at when it comes to Peter. But I think there's three episodes that if we look at, that we can see kind of an analog in every Christian's experience. So our first passage that we're going to look at is a very, very famous one. If you want to flip in your Bibles to Matthew 14, verses 25 through 32. And I meant to mark these this morning, and I didn't do it. So you're just going to have to... Well, it gives you time to flip there as well. So that works. Matthew 14, 25 through 32. It says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So we see there a pattern that if you're someone who's engaged in in a Christian life, or if you're just thinking about it a little bit, you will have experienced this pattern a little bit yourself. Jesus calls you, right? He calls you to follow Him. He calls you to be His disciple. And so He calls, and our response is often like Peter. He calls, we question. God, are you sure? Are are you real? Are are you certain? Do you really want me to do that? And so then, of course, God being patient and just and kind and good reassures us, yes, it's me, come on. And then we, when we, 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 we take that step of faith, we obey, we step out of the boat. Can you imagine the feeling of exhilaration that Peter must have felt when he stepped out of that boat and his foot hit the water and, and was on solid ground? Can you imagine what he was thinking? I can't, I can't even process what that might be like. But like Peter... We often start to second-guess ourselves. We start to doubt. Um, you know, he, he fell back. You know, he, he was in a, a place of doubt, of skepticism. He was afraid, right? He was in the boat. The storm's going crazy. They're thinking they're seeing a ghost. You know, so are they even saying, you know, he was in a place of fear. God called him out of that fear. He responded, but then he fell back into the fear. And so we see that, you know, sometimes this, our way of thinking, our way of doubting can cause us to fall back into a negative pattern. It's like a rut. Um, and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's something that keeps us from achieving everything that God wants us to be. And it's really hard in today's society, if you're not someone who was raised in the church, if you're not someone who, who, who's been hearing it from a very young age, it's hard to just come to God now. Because the whole world is telling you Christians are fools. It's, it's made up. It's fairy tales. It's stories. You don't need to believe that junk. It's all just uh, you know, wishful thinking. And so when we do start to feel that pull of God, when we start to feel that call of God, we say, okay, this, this seems like it's good. It seems like it's real. I think I'm going to step out here. I think I'm going to take a step of faith. But then something will happen, and it, and it allows us to fall back into that, that attitude of doubt and skepticism and fear, and it keeps us from achieving that awesome thing that God wants to do for us. All right, and so that is, that is kind of a... A famous passage about Peter. Almost everybody's heard about it. Um, but it shows an example of how a negative, habitual form of thinking kept him from accomplishing what God called him to do. All right, we're going to go forward in time a little bit. So we're going past, uh, we're going past all of his time as a disciple. We're going past the crucifixion. We're going past the resurrection. We're going to go all the way to John chapter 21. So if you want to flip there now. All right, in John chapter 21, uh, let me lay the, the ground here a little bit. Jesus has been crucified. He's been raised from the dead. He's even appeared to the disciples a couple times at this point. All right? But they haven't really figured out what to do with that. If we look in verse, uh, chapter, or verse number 2, it says, It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
Alright, this sounds good. Promising start. The disciples are all together. Jesus has been raised. Let's see what's going to happen. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Alright, Simon Peter tells them, I'm going fishing. And they say, we'll go with you. So they get out into the boat. They go out and they catch nothing. Alright, and so I just want to point out here that this has been like one of the most amazing experiences that anybody could ever be through, right? How many times as a Christian have you, have you ever thought, you know, what if I was there when Jesus was crucified? What if I was there when I saw him risen? You know, what would that be like? And we think that, man, I'd be on fire. I'd be out there, you know, I'd be tearing the world up, telling everybody about it. And yet here we find the disciples who have not only witnessed all of that, they've seen him resurrected, and they're wasting their time fishing, right? And what's funny about this is that Peter was the leader in this, right? Even when he didn't know what to do, so much so that he said, I'm going fishing, he fell back into that old pattern of his old life. Um, others followed him because he had that gift of leadership, and yet he, he didn't know what to do with it. So we find Peter, he's in this place, and there's either two things happening here. He either just, one, can't process it. He's like, okay, Jesus died, now he's back, now what? Or, you've got Peter still so ridden with guilt over his betrayal of Jesus, of, of his denial of Jesus, that he can't seem to bring himself to say, you know, I can accomplish what God has sent me out to do. I can accomplish this role that God has placed me in of being Jesus' disciple. So, um, you know, it, it's like that in the world. You'll see people who are so gifted and they're so talented, and we know that those things come from God, but they're not using it for the purposes that God gave it for, right? You can see it, um, you know, I see it especially in, in, in music artists. There are so many of these famous musicians, famous band members that are out there, and when you, when you learn their background, you see that they're preacher's kids, or, or they were raised in the church, or they started singing because they were in a youth choir. Um, and, and, and so you know that that talent and that ability that they've gotten, that they've developed, was given to them for one thing, and what's that? To praise and to worship and to glorify God. And yet they've somehow lost sight of that, and they've gotten themselves over onto to another track that's completely self-serving. Um, my wife loves to watch these, the, 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 the shows like The Voice and, and things like that um, because she likes to, to, to see the different singers and all that kind of thing. And, and it cracks me up when, when you'll get someone on there because there have been several youth pastors and, and Christians that have gotten on there and they've, they've stood up for their faith and those kinds of things. And what cracks me up is, is the secular people, the non-Christian people that are on the judges panel or whatever, and you can just see the Holy Spirit all over them. You, you know that they can feel that anointing but they don't know what to do with it, right? Um, the latest one is, is Jordan Smith, who went to the same college I went, and you, you had Adam Levine. Every time he'd sing, he'd say, man, I don't know what that was, but that was good, you know? And he'd get out there and he'd say, man, I just felt that. And, and, and I'm sitting there, how can you not know what it was? He's up there singing about Mary, did you know? He's up there singing about all these things and trying to tell you to your face, this is about God, I'm glorifying God with my gift. And yet still they just can't seem to process it. They can't seem to figure out what's next. You know, they, they don't know how to respond. And I think, you know, that, that happens with a lot of us. You know, a lot of times we'll get saved. And we'll make this step of faith. We'll say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. But then we don't know where to do that, right? 
we say, okay, I'm saved. What's next? Um, and, and it, you know, with a lack of direction, we fall back into our old habitual ways. And my question for you is this. Did God save you so that you could sit on a bench? Did God save you so that you could come to church once a week? You know, did God save you just so that you could drop money in the bucket? No. God wants you to be an active, you know, participating part of His kingdom. He has gifted each and every person in this room with a, with a talent, with an ability. You may not see it in yourself yet. You may not have developed it in yourself yet. But God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so we can't let the fact that we don't see what God's trying to do uh, fool us into to falling back into that old, easy routine. All right? Jesus, um, when... If we, if we go on further on in the, in the verse, or in the chapter, you look at verses 15 through 17. Um, when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time that he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. All right, so what we have here is we don't have Jesus saying, hey, listen, I think you need to change careers. You need to switch from being a fisherman to a shepherd. All right, that's not what Jesus was saying. He was trying to show him, you know, I've called you for a purpose. I told you that you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people. You know, I don't want you. I have to go away, and I need someone who can stay here and can take care of my sheep. He had a purpose, and he had a plan for, for Peter. But because of whatever it was, whether Peter just couldn't grasp what the plan was that God had for him, or whether he was too racked with guilt to, to feel like he was worthy of that purpose, Jesus had to kind of kickstart him again. And in fact, if you look in verse 19, Jesus repeats the initial call that he gave to, to Peter. All right, So he doesn't just forgive him for the denial, but he actually says to him again, follow me. All right? And, um, you know, Peter, he needed something to restore his confidence. He needed something to get him back on the path. And I think sometimes we get called to do something, and for whatever reason, we let it slide. You know, maybe something comes up in your life, and, and God's called you to serve in a particular way. You know, and when I say um, to serve, it's not always something that's visible. Um, you know, you're not always the person up here on stage. You're not always the person out there in the foyer where people see you. But all of us are called to be servants. Why? Because we're trying to be like Jesus. And Jesus was a servant. Jesus got down on his hands and feet and cleaned the dirty feet of the disciples and said, you do this too. All right? And so if we're trying to be Christians, we're not called to sit on a pew and to wait for someone else to do it. You know, we do it ourselves. It, it, it's funny to me. You know, as, as people get older, how they change. And as they mature, they notice different things. I can be walking across the parking lot back here. This happened just the other day. I'm walking across the parking lot. Ben's in front of me. And he walks right by a, an empty bottle on, on the pavement. It doesn't even register with him that there's garbage sitting there. But for me, you know, I'm invested in this ministry. I want to see the church. We keep up the grounds. We'll take care of things. And so for me, it was no big deal. Pick it up, throw it in the garbage. 
But it was just a sign of the maturity. And, and it's the same way. As we mature in the Lord, we'll begin to see more and more things that need to be done. And rather than just letting it pass by and say, well, I hope someone else stops and picks that up, we say, no, I'm going to do it. You know, Pastor and I were talking about this the other day. If you've got a servant's heart, there's no way anyone could stop you. All right? If you care about the youth of our church, it doesn't matter if you're an official youth leader. You're going to reach out to those young people, and you're going to let them know that you love them, and you care for them, and you support them. Um, if you care about um, people at your workplace, all right, it, it's not going to matter that you can't, you know, your boss says you can't proselytize or you can't talk about your faith. They can't stop you. You know, I loved it when I was teaching, and, and Elizabeth has the same thing at her job now. You know, we're in the school system, and you're not supposed to talk about your faith. You're not supposed to talk about God, because, you know, you have to have this whole separation of, of, of God and the state, and, and you're not supposed to talk about those things. And she'll come home, and she'll tell me, I was talking today, and, and I was talking to the little kids, and I said, what would you do this weekend? And the one said, well, I was praising Jesus. And, and I love it because God opens that door because the rule is once they bring it up, you can talk about it all you want, as long as you want. And so that's the way we have to be. We have to be ready. And when we see that opportunity, we have to be ready to respond. And we can't let the fact that there's no one giving us directions. All right, there's no one that sits there and calls me up every month and says, pay your light bill pay your water bill, you know, do all those things. Well, besides the company when they send me the bill. You know, but, but as adults, we learn to take responsibility for those things ourselves because we know if we don't, there's going to be negative consequences. And it's the same way. When, when there are things in the kingdom of God that need to be done and no one's responding to it, there's going to be a negative consequence. You know, maybe that seed's not going to be planted in the person. You know, maybe there's someone who needs to hear a word from the Lord and they're not going to hear that word from the Lord now. You know, we can't just let these things slide because we're not getting step-by-step -step directions. You know, as we grow, as we mature, you know, when, when we're little kids, our parents have to tell us everything. They say, go in your room. In fact, I remember specifically, one of the things with, with, with Ben when he was younger, I would always, I would give him like eight, a, a list of eight things to do. And, you know, it just doesn't work like that with a little kid. You can't give them eight things because by the time they get to two, they've forgotten the rest. Right? So you have to give up to them one by one. Pick up this, this. Okay. Now put them in that bucket, all right? And as they get older, they learn how to do it all themselves. And as we grow as Christians, we shouldn't need pastors standing over us saying, hey, I need you to do this and this. You know, we should learn to, to recognize the need and say, hey, look, somebody's got to do it. I'm going to do it. Why? Because it's what we're called to do. We're, part, we're called to be a part of the body. Now, it's easy to fall back into old patterns. It's easy to, to lose that confidence because when we're first saved, we are fired up, right? You see it, um, you see it every, every time we take teens to, to youth camp or teens to Winterfest. They go there. They have an experience with God. And man, when they come back, they are fired up. They're ready to go. I'm going to turn this world upside down. I'm going to kick that bully in the face and tell him Jesus loves him. You know, they want to, do, they want to tear it up, right? But then you give it a few weeks, and, and they fall back into the old patterns, the old routines. They're hanging with the same crowd. They're listening to the same music. They're reading the same book, watching the same movies. And it steals all that fire. It steals all that enthusiasm. Um, for others, they're fired up, 
And they'd say, okay, I'm ready to go. And then they just don't know what to do with themselves. So we fall back into old habits and old routines. And we can't allow ourselves to do that. And we see that in Peter. You know, he, he, he had seen one of the most amazing things. One of the most, I mean, the, the fact that he had seen the turning point of history happen and unfold before his eyes. And at the end of it, he's like, well, I'm going fishing. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. But... Again, it shows us how we can need something, you know, and in Peter's case, it was Jesus coming to recommission him, you know, but we need something that will kick us back into gear. All right, um, the last passage in the last chapter of, of uh, Peter's life that I want to look at is one that usually you don't talk about Peter a whole lot in this passage, but if you flip, if you flip to Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. This says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Did you notice that? He was afraid again. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So let's step back a little bit. And before, I wanted to introduce you to, to the to the problem, but we got to lay some background to this story a little bit. Um, you know, Peter was commissioned by Jesus, and there was a special call on Peter's life. Um, we see this when Peter, uh, in, the, in the great declaration, when, when, when uh, Jesus says, you are Peter, you are the rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. And we see that play out in the book of Acts. All right, uh, in the book of Acts, Jesus lays out the great commission that it'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Peter was present at each one of those turning points in the spread of the gospel. He was there when the disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit there in Jerusalem. He was instrumental in spreading it um, uh, to, throughout Judea. You see in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter standing and boldly proclaiming at the day of Pentecost, spreading it to all the Jews from all over the world who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this, this, fe this feast of, of Pentecost, and he helped spread that. We look in Acts chapter 8 when Peter goes down to Samaria. The Samaritans had, had been listening to Philip preach and, and they'd been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they hadn't experienced that baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John, they go to Samaria. They lay hands on and boom, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter was there when the full blessing of God, the promise of God was, was spread beyond Jews for the first time to the Samaritans who were, were half-breed Jews. All right, And so we spread from Jews, now we're to half-Jews. And then we see in Acts chapter 10, Peter is instrumental at the house of Cornelius when the first Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and what's crazy about this is that before this even happens, if you read in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. He sees a sheet descending from heaven. He sees the, the unclean animals, and, and God tells him to take and eat the unclean animals. And Peter says, I can't do that. I'm a good Jew. I, I live according to the laws of Judaism. And God says, who are you to, to question me? If I say to eat it, you eat it. 
All right? I'm paraphrasing there. That's the New King John translation. Okay? But Peter received a specific message from God that we are going to spread this, this blessing that has come to the Jews. It's come to the Samaritans. It's now going to the Gentiles as well, and I'm going to use you to do it. And when you get this call, you're going to go. Peter was part of that call. All right, so much so that the rest of the disciples, they called him in in chapter 11, and they're like, hey, what are you doing? And, and Peter had to stand up and say, listen, I didn't just go on my own. God specifically told me that he's spreading this blessing, and he's sending it to the rest of the world, and who are we to stand in the way? So this is the boldness that Peter was acting in. He was certain that God had called him. He was certain that God had called him to do this thing. And yet here in Galatians chapter 2, we see Peter back, backing up from that. All right, he fell back into that old habit again. He fell back into that pattern of fear, right? It said he was afraid of this circumcision group. He was afraid of what other people thought of him. And it stopped him from acting and from, from uh, participating and, and from functioning in the ministry that God specifically talked to him and called him to. Now, I don't know about you, but if God called me on the phone or gave me a vision or sent me a letter in the mail and said, John, I want you to do this, there's nothing anybody could say that would make me question that. And yet, Peter had this habit. He'd allowed this thing to, to be in his life, and it got him stuck in a rut. Okay? Um, and Peter's fear caused him to actually go in the exact opposite direction that God had told him to go in. All right? And that was why Paul had to call him on the carpet. He said, look, you're, you're jeopardizing everything. You're going completely in the opposite direction of what God's trying to do. And, you know, for many of us, God, God has given, just like God gave to Peter, he's given us a message, he's given us a mission, and he's given us a vision for the kingdom. Now, I don't know what your message and what your mission and what your vision is. It's different for each one of us. Some of us are called into full-time ministry. Some of us are called to be Christian businessmen. Some of us are called to be Christian coaches uh, for extracurricular teams. Some of us are called to be Christian co-workers on the Ford assembly line. You know, wherever your mission is, wherever your call is, God has called you to something. And we can't allow our, our habits, our, our old ways of doing to keep us from accomplishing what God has called us to do. All right? So my question to you is... Has God called you to do something? And maybe you were even functioning in that at one time. You know, may, I know people who were so blessed and they, they sang and they were part of a music ministry. But because something happened in their life, they stepped back from that and they've never regained that. And they've never gone back to that thing that they're so passionate about, that, that talent and that ability that God gave them. Or, or maybe some other form of, of something pops up in your life and it keeps you from doing what you were called to do. Maybe you experienced victory in a certain portion of your life. You know, like we prayed earlier, sometimes there are addictions, there are things that have a grasp on us, you know, and God can set us free from those things. But all too often, we want to pick them back up again. We're like, God, thank you for delivering me from that. And then, you know, two years later, we find ourselves fighting that same battle over again. Why are we doing that? You know, that's not what God desires for us. He doesn't want us to keep fighting the same battles over and over and over again, right? All right? You, you, you take your kids to school, and you don't want them learning their ABCs when they're in eighth grade, right? 
You want them to have moved beyond that. You want them to move to the next thing. And that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want to see you stuck fighting that same battle over and over and over again. You've already got the victory. Move on. Go to the next thing. Okay? So, you know, we have this, there's this, you know, the popular saying, I, I believe it's attributed to Einstein, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But we do that. We do the same thing over and over again. You know, the, science teaches us that, that electricity will, will follow the path of least resistance, right? And we're like that as humans. You know, when things are hard, when things get crazy, when things get chaotic, we fall back into that path of least resistance. Okay? Why? It's, 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 it's easy because we're used to that. That's how we react. It's, it's our ingrained pattern. It's our default setting. But we have to sometimes stop and consider and say, is this what I'm called to do? Is this, am I happy with the direction I'm going in? You know, not too long ago, Elizabeth and I had a talk and we sat down and we were like, you know, it's nobody's fault, but we've gotten into some bad habits as a family. There's some things that we're, that we're doing, you know, we come in and we drop our stuff there instead of putting it where it belongs, or we kick our shoes off by the door instead of putting them in our closet, or, or we're not sitting down and talking as a family at dinner, or, you know, different things. And we, we sat down and we had a little conversation. We talked about, are we happy with how things are right now? And it wasn't a terrible thing. But it was just, it was a time of self-reflection. It was a time when we sat back and we said, are we happy with the state of things as they are? And we decided, no, we're not. So that meant we had to change some things. We had to establish some new patterns in our family. We sat down with Ben and we said, listen, things are going to be a little different. When you come home from school, you're not going to lay down and watch TV. We want you to have your homework done by the time we get home. You know, when we get home, we're not going to sit down and, and eat our our, our dinner in front of the TV, we're going to sit down at the dinner table as a family. And we're not going to leave mom to do the dishes. We're all going to chip in and do it together. And we laid out all these, all these different patterns of, and we're trying to establish new habits in our family that will get us out of this rut that's keeping us from reaching that level of happiness and that level of, of joy as a family that we think we need to be in. And sometimes as Christians we have to do the same things. When you get stuck in a rut... All right, it can be so frustrating. All right, you spin those tires for so long and you're not helping anything, right? You're actually just digging yourself further in. And we get more and more disillusioned and more and more frustrated, and you're not going anywhere. And you need something that will jumpstart you or kickstart you out. Well, what you need is you need to get a hold of God. And you need to say, God, I'm not happy with how things are. I'm not happy still just trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to get out on the boat. No, I, I should be running on the water by now. You know, you should say, I'm not happy, um, you know, just going back to fishing. I'm not happy just spectating. You know, I'm ready to get, uh, you know, to, to, to achieve that higher purpose that you've called me to in my life. You know, we, we shouldn't be turning our backs on the vision that God has placed in your heart. You know, too many times, there are, there are okay, in a church of this size, there's only so much that, that a, a, a limited number of leadership can do, right? Um, you know, just statistics bear that out. If you look at a church uh, and you have one pastor and, and even a couple staff supporting him, the, your church is only going to grow to a certain size. You know, but if, if you want to grow beyond that, it's going to require other people to step up and be leaders with you. And, and that's what we're trying to, to build here. We're trying to build a desire to move beyond the status quo. I mean, 
I can't tell you how many times in my life I've looked back and I've said, God, I'm not happy with how things are. Help me to turn it around. Because if I try to turn it around on my own, I'm just spinning my wheels, right? But we don't have to just spin our wheels. Thankfully, we've got God that's going to come put some chains on our tires and we're going to get out of that hole. Okay? So that, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today is that, you know, Peter shows us how habitual ways of thinking, habitual ways of speaking, habitual ways of acting can actually be detrimental to our lives. And we need God to help us to replace those habits with a passion and a desire to do and be the people that he's called us to do and be, right? You know, I'm not happy with being John the father, John the, 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 the youth pastor, John the, you know, I, I want to do everything that God's called me to be. You know, if Peter had not responded to the call of Jesus, he would have been a fisherman all his life, he'd have been a father, he'd have been a husband, and at the end, that would have been it. But instead, because Peter was able to respond when God kick-started him to the next level, he was able to go outside and, and help turn the world upside down. He was instrumental, as I pointed out, in spreading the gospel beyond just Jerusalem, beyond just the people who had seen and interacted with Jesus. It went around the whole world. Okay, And so my question for you is this. Are you tired? Are you stuck in a rut? You know, it's easy to get frustrated. Okay, And so my question for you is, if you are stuck in a rut, how long are you going to keep spinning your wheels? We need to reach out. We need to call to God. And we need to say, God, I'm ready to step out in faith. I'm ready to get on the water. Or maybe you're at the next level and you're like, God, I've, I've experienced something awesome, but, but something was a setback for me, but I'm tired of being a fisherman. I'm ready to go to the next level. What's the next thing you have for me? Or maybe you're at that place where God has already given you a mission, but for whatever reason you haven't taken it up, okay? And it's time to take it up. You know, I would be very, very frustrated if it, at age 18, when Ben left the house, he wasn't ready to be an adult because all his life I've been slowly training him and working with him. We're working right now on, on getting assignments turned in on time, you know? And, and, but rather than being frustrated with it, you, you recognize that it's a process. And God is not frustrated with you, right? He's not mad at you. He's not upset at you. He knows it takes time. But... Ask yourself, are you happy with where you are in your walk with Christ? Are you accomplishing all those things that God has put out for you? And Because I, I can tell you, whatever you think it is that God has called you to do, He's called you to do so much more because we can't even begin to fathom the awesome things. We can't even begin to understand the, the disparate impacts that we will have because, you know, I might share the gospel with this person at my work and then they share the gospel with their family, and then they share the gospel. And so there will be people on down the road that I've never even heard before in my life that someday when I get to heaven, they're going to be there thanking me, saying, thank you for being faithful. All right? We can't even begin to understand the far-reaching effects that our obedience will have on this world. And so my encouragement to you today is this. If you are stuck in a rut, if you are frustrated, now's the time to kick it up a notch. So, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about doing an altar call, or, uh, you know, and, and closing things out like that. But we've already come together and we've prayed and we've agreed. And we have, uh, we have loosed the chains of addiction that we might have in our life. We, we've broken the bondage of sickness that might be holding us back and might have gotten us in a, in a negative rut. 
So today, I just want to encourage you to spend a little time this week, and I want you to to think about um, some things that maybe are holding you back, some old forms of of thought. And and musicians, if you want to come up, I think they've got one more song that we're going to sing together. Um, But... um, if there is something in your life that's holding you back, if there's a battle that you fought and you've already had victory over it, don't pick it up again. Move forward. Okay? And so um, I'll give them a second to get up here, but I think is the song, We Won't Go Back. I Won't Go Back. And that's a perfect way to close it out. So um, I would like everybody to stand on your feet.